again, everybody. It's Rick Cole with the Pirate People podcast from North Central Missouri College's Pirates Digital Media. We had a week off last week, but the guest this week has been worth waiting for. It's Abner Neal. He is a student at North Central Missouri College, but not just any student. He's a non-traditional student working on his Associates in Art degree. Plus, he is a pastor at uh, Princeton, Missouri Church. Abner uh, is uh, interesting because of several reasons. First, his uh, unrelenting optimism about life and uh, his chosen profession. But he was also a speaker at our scholarship reception last week as a recipient of the Betty Francis and Nadine Hall Scholarship. We visit with uh, my good friend Abner Neal on today's Pirate People podcast. Abner, let's talk a little bit about your life as a, I guess, back in the old days, we called it non-traditional student. Uh, you don't have to ex- uh, tell your age, but you're non-traditional. I think that's fair, isn't it? I believe if you looked in the dictionary, you would find a picture of me where it says non-traditional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I, I am uh, in my 50s, we'll just put it that way, father of five, um, and uh, didn't know that I'd ever expect to find myself on this campus at this station in life, but I am loving every minute of being here. We're going to dig into how that happened because it's a great story. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the Scholars Reception. You were one of the featured speakers. What was that experience like? It was a great experience, and I was honored to be asked to speak. Um, I jokingly told some folks, well, they needed the token old guy because that seems to be the pattern. but. <laughs> Um, you know, I think they want to hear from a diversity. Um, this campus is great about attracting people from all walks of life and different circumstances. And, um, you know, I think egotistically, I think I've got a good story to tell. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, uh, I gave them fits. They want a written speech so they can know what you're going to say and, and all that stuff. And I'm much more extemporaneous in my presentation. So um, Alicia Endicott uh, with the NCMC Foundation, um, I I drove her crazy by not being willing to give her a speech, but I think it came out pretty good. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna ask you something personal because the day of the speech when I ran into you, I said, hey, can you work me in there? And you did. Was that, uh, certainly that was because I begged you and pleaded, right? Absolutely. Uh, My friend asked me to give him a little (laughs) shout out and I worked it in. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. One of the reasons I think you were so effective that day is is that your career is as a minister, right? Yes. So you're used to standing up in front of a group and, and, and giving a message and that's exactly what you did. Do you do your sermons extemporaneously? Um, for the most part, yes. I will, through the course of the week, I will study and get some ideas of where I want to go. Um, but I stopped writing sermons um, about a year ago. And I actually just formulated in my mind a path of where I intend. And on Sunday morning, I get up and allow God to speak through me. Um, and I know that may sound weird to some folks, but that's, that's truly my experience. Right. That, as I'm, I'm reading scripture and talking, he'll keep adding new thoughts and filling my mouth with words, and it's a good system for me. You were in uh, one of my classes last spring, and I remember one of the first things you said was, I'm a minister, but you don't have to let that intimidate you or something to that. You're not someone that we all have to act very, 
uh, is pious the word? Well, you know, we have to be, you know, you on the edge of our seats making sure we don't commit a sin right in front of you, right? Is that a good way to say it? That, yes. Uh, I mean, look, I am a real person in a world full of real people. Um, people know what I do for a living, and, and they automatically tense up a little bit. and Oh, i got to be on my best behavior. But the reality is Jesus walked in a world full of sinners, and he didn't walk up to everybody and say, I can't believe you said that, <laughs> right? He, that's just not how that goes. And so instead of being this overly pious, religious, stick in the mud, I find I do much better if I'm just a real person who can be relatable. And then I can have conversations that are meaningful with people. Well, and I think that talks to your extemporaneous nature. That, sure. That you do that. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I, look, I, I am most comfortable in the moment, whether it's just one-on-one -on -one or in a large group. Um, you know, I've never been intimidated. Uh, uh, years ago, in, in, in a previous career, I was in uh, insurance sales, and I uh, did payroll deduction marketing with an insurance company, and, and I had clients who worked for, I lived in the New Orleans area in Louisiana, I had clients that worked for the city of New Orleans in a department that is literally titled Rock Crusher. They take ah, really? big rocks, run them through machines, and create gravel to fill potholes. Okay. Right? These are not the most educated folks, if you can imagine, working for Rock Crusher Department okay. for the City Streets Department. But I also had customers of mine, clients that were university professors. And I just have always, God, God blessed me with the ability to connect with people where they are. And just, you know, I can, I can talk at your level and relate. Uh, my wife picks on me all the time. One of the things that I have a an, uh, subliminal thing that I do is oftentimes I will match someone in their tones or even their accent. It's it's not mocking. It's just I drift into, you know, so if you have this real country twang, then, hey, man, it's not a problem. I can talk to you like that. We, we just do it too, you well, know. Well, what does a rock crusher sound like? <laughs> um, I, without going feeding into stereotypes let's just say um, you'll get this reference if you go somewhere between Ralph Cramden and Fred Flintstone okay right yeah Fred Flintstone was in my mind so. yes yeah. well it was actually modeled after Ralph Cramden so oh I didn't know that yes uh, I did not know the that. Flintstones was modeled after the honeymooners I had no idea Oh, interesting. Interesting tidbit. I'm glad I could help expand your horizons. Thank today. you. Thank you. Uh, so let's go back to the story, uh, how you became a non-traditional student at, in your 50s. Uh, can you, I don't know where you want to pick this up, but I'll just let you pick the, the spot well, to start. I'll, I'll pick it up with um, six years ago, my family moved from just outside of New Orleans, Louisiana to Princeton, Missouri. Uh, my wife and I have five kids, our oldest two. We homeschooled everybody. Our oldest two had already completed high school and were kind of in a holding pattern, figuring out what they wanted to do with their lives. Um, the youngest three were still in school. And so we got here not knowing what anybody was going to do. But our deal with our kids was, look, everybody's coming with us, and then God will launch you from there. And why, so, why Princeton? Why Princeton? Um, we were looking. Uh, again, I am, I am a pastor of First Baptist Church in Princeton. We were looking for a place to pastor. And as we fired resumes out across the country, our prayer was that God would plant us in the center of His perfect will. And He brought us to Princeton, Missouri. Mm. Um, not anything I would have ever in my own strength or imagination picked. 
Um, you know, I, I moved from a place where I had a, a Target store less than five minutes away, a Walmart eight minutes away, a, a Starbucks six minutes away, and, and every convenience you could ever know of to I moved to Princeton, Missouri, and I've got a Dollar General and a Casey's. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a culture shock, but it's been great. But so we got here and we just told our kids, look, let's figure it out. And, um, my oldest daughter went and did some international mission work and tried to find herself, if you will. And, um, my second eldest daughter was working for a ranching family, uh, nannying their kids. And one day, uh, the mom stayed home cause somebody was sick, but she was still there. And the the dad said he needed some help doing some chores on the farm, and so she said, oh, I'll help. And so she went out and started helping feed the cows, and next thing you know, it implanted in her a, a love for agriculture. And uh, so then I flash forward, and my oldest two are enrolled as students here at North Central and, and pursuing their passions, and they've now graduated and moved on, and then the next two also enrolled, and so I... I said, you know what, the time is right. Uh, I have pursued a college education three different times prior to this, and life has always gotten in the way. Um, and so I said, you know what, let me go. And so I'm pursuing basically a general studies degree. It's the AA transfer. Um, but it's, it's really more an opportunity. I, I got to hang out with my kids. We see each other between classes. We hang out in the coffee shop. We hang out in the SSS and, and do homework. And uh, it's just, it's really been a great thing. I mean, you, you see me in the coffee shop, I'm between classes and my, my daughter's in nursing school downstairs and, and she'll walk by and on her break from class and she comes over and gives her daddy a hug and a kiss. Yeah. Uh, there's just something about that that yeah. sets your yeah. world on fire. The academic part of it though, that's, it sounds like more of an intrinsic Thing that you want to achieve as opposed to going out and finding a new career path. Yes, well, I'm not looking for a new career path, that's for sure. Right. I'm right. quite content in ministry. But no, I, I promised myself as a much younger man that I would ultimately um, attain at least one degree and possibly even more. I mean, uh, I won't say it's necessarily my goal, but uh, I have entertained the idea of going all the way through a master's um, of divinity. Why? Because in the world I live in, sometimes they don't give you a credible voice in, in church polity unless you have those initials behind your sure. name. Yeah. Um, and so it's really more of a societal expectation than it is a personal driving force. Right. But to get an associate's degree from North Central Missouri College, you know what? That satisfies my need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say I accomplished it. Yeah. Are you on a uh, course to graduate in the spring or fall? I, I will. I, I will actually walk in May, uh, graduating this spring. And the to me, the, the cherry on top of the whole thing is my son Edward and I will walk together. And then that afternoon, my daughter Riley will uh, walk with her uh, associate's degree in nursing as an RN. And uh, so that day gets to be special for us together as a family. Oh, I, are you a real emotional guy? Is that going to be an emotional day? Oh, yes. I, I am, I, I've, I've jokingly told people for years, I cry watching TV commercials, you know. Uh, <laughs> I do I, too, but for a completely different reason. <laughs> yeah, you, you look at the technical content. I, I look at uh, just the emotion of it. So yes, I am, I'm a very emotional guy. I, 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 I laugh, I cry, I'm, I, I, 
I, I am a man of feelings. Let's put it right, that way. Right, right. How does that play into your role as a pastor? Uh, I think it gives me an advantage over some others. There, there's some guys that do this as a job, and it's, it's very clinical for them. Uh, for me, I, I always try to connect with people, and I always try and treat people the way I would want to be treated. And that I find that empathy goes much further than sympathy. And so um, I think my emotions are, are, are a positive because again, it helps me be more real with people. Right. Any kind of culture gap when you first came to Princeton as the pastor <laughs> there? Because Louisiana and uh, North Central Missouri kind of distant. Yes, well, beyond the obvious uh, cuisine differences, uh, people, people in South Louisiana are, as a whole, much friendlier, much more open and uh, welcoming as you come through. Everybody greets everybody, and there's genuinely an actual exchange of information, not the, hey, how are you? Fine, and you keep walking. Yep, yep. Um, here, folks initially were much more standoffish, um, and a part of that's that Midwestern uh, mindset, but once you prove to them that you're actually here to stay and, and become part of the community, they've been very quick to embrace our family. Right. Yeah, the Midwest nice kind of thing you found. Yes. Um, but it only lasts for, I think, so long, right? Uh, yeah, the honeymoon was very brief. Yeah, it was it. Uh, pre preparation, you, you talked about you kind of go extemporaneously, but uh, what's the long-term preparation been for you in, in terms of your religious beliefs? How did you grow up, and did you see yourself becoming a, a, a pastor at any time? So I, I grew up, um, I tell my story this way. I was an unchurched child. Um, my mom and dad, my dad was a hippie wannabe coming out of the 60s, um, and religion of any form had no interest to him. And so I, I was 10 years old, and other than the few occasions where I'd go to church with my grandparents or a great aunt and uncle when we'd go visit them, we just didn't go to church. We moved in uh, 1978 when I was 10, we moved to Ponchatoula, Louisiana to be closer to my dad's parents and started attending church with them because in the Bible Belt, it is absolutely expected that everybody goes to church on Sunday morning regardless of desire, it's just what you do. And so if you'd asked me at that point, Abner, do you see yourself becoming a pastor? I don't even know that I saw myself becoming a Christian at that point. Right, sure. I was just a church attender. Did you revolt a little bit? Did you rebel on being forced to go? I didn't rebel uh, overtly. What I did do is when I got into my teenage years, um, I was really great at getting away with stuff and not getting caught. Um, you know, so, I mean, even to the point that I started singing in the church choir when I was 14 uh, and from 14 to 16, the church we were attending, I was in the choir. We ended up moving to a different church after that. But, you know, I would go out with my friends, and I'm sorry to say, as a, a young teenager growing up in South Louisiana, alcohol was very readily available. I'd go out with my friends on Friday night and Saturday night, and we'd just party it up. And But Sunday morning, uh, many a Sunday morning, I was 
in church singing in the choir with a little bit of uh, a remembrance of the night before. My let's goodness. put it that way. My goodness. So, yeah, um, you know, it's, a, it's a different culture. It's a different world. Uh, yeah. And I certainly don't advocate for that. But flash forward a couple of years, when I was 16, um, I actually, uh, to use the churchy word, I got saved. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I heard the gospel presented in a way that it, it convinced me that I needed to change something about me. And so I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Lord and started attending church faithfully. Um, a little later that year, I was at a um, state-sponsored for, uh, was part of an Assemblies of God church at that point, state-sponsored youth convention. And during one of the services, I really felt like God was calling me to ministry. And so I told my youth pastor, and when we got home, I told my pastor pastor. And, and so they encouraged me and started working with me. And I finished high school, and I enrolled in Bible college at that point. Um, but I didn't go. I was going to say, what, what happens when you say no to that calling? Uh, well, so here's my story. For the better part of 30 years, I ran from that because I, I'd always been good with people and I'd always been a good speaker. But the, the weight of the responsibility of being the one who's supposed to hear from God and then deliver this message to people scared me to death. Um, because if you just go up there and give a speech, you're messing with people's lives. And I just, that didn't make me very comfortable. So I looked for every way possible I could still serve God without having to say yes to be the pastor, to be the preacher guy. Um, and so I, I did every job possible inside of a church as a volunteer that you could really do because I didn't want to be the pastor. So uh, ultimately, God, uh, the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. And um, I can tell you that for the better part of 30 years, I continued to be that disobedient child who got spanked in many ways uh, by a loving God. And so finally I, I gave up and uh, got serious and uh, actually enrolled again in Bible college and this time took classes and did that for uh, almost two years. Um, but the hard part for me at that point was we still had younger kids and so I'm trying to balance uh, a full-time job, full-time student, full-time dad, full-time husband. And I just got to the point where I couldn't continue. I didn't have the focus. And, but I had learned a tremendous amount, both through my 30 years of being involved in ministry, plus this year and a half of, of Bible college that I had done. And so I felt like I was ready. And I started firing off resumes to churches and... and um, you know, here we are, and it's, it's one of those things that I always knew I was supposed to do, but I wasn't ever sure I'd get around to it because I was scared. Yeah. You held a number of jobs, I know, in management and that sort of thing. That feeds into your ability to work with people, I would imagine? Sure, absolutely. I, I spent 30 years in business um, in management roles, running companies, uh, and working with people and, and look, all of life, my philosophy is all of life is about the value of our relationships. And, you know, my, my maternal grandfather was a Chevrolet dealer in Oklahoma City. Um, 
self-made millionaire, very, very successful. And I remember as a young child uh, spending time with him and him telling me, he said, here's the thing. If you treat everybody with respect, they will give you an honest day's work. Right. And so he would walk in in the morning when he would get to work and he would, he would park his car and he'd walk through the service department first and talk to the, the porters, the guys that wash the cars and the mechanics. Mm -hmm. And he would greet each and every one of them by name. Then he'd go through the offices and talk to the, the ladies in the office and the accounting office yeah. and all those things. And so I've tried to carry that forward to just make sure that everybody is heard and respected. And, you know, it made me successful in business. and. I think it helps make me successful in ministry. You talked a little bit ago about the uh, credentials that would help you move through the hierarchy. What is the industry like for, you know what I'm saying? What, what's, what is it as, a, as an occupation? What's it like? Um, it can be a very lonely world. Um, matter of fact, when you attend Bible college or seminary, um, they will tell you that it's very hard for a pastor to have relationship with any of your people that you know you you can't risk being friends with them because because you can only open up so much and you don't want to tell them things and yeah. and so and then unfortunately pastors are historically skeptical about other pastors because they have always viewed them as being in competition and so it's hard for pastors to be friends with other pastors and so it's a kind of a lonely world um, and so I've kind of flipped that upside down. I, I, part of my live my life out loud philosophy is I have intentionally made friendships with other pastors and been very vulnerable in my openness with them about struggles we have and things that are going on. And it's kind of changing the culture locally. Um, but for the most part, um, pastors, it's, it's a tough go. Um, you don't really have a lot of people that you can turn to and, and be real and vulnerable um, because there's this expectation of, yeah. of perfection and better than that you know, people need to realize we're just people. Yeah, yeah. What is the one thing you wish people knew about being a pastor that they probably don't? Um, I'll actually extend it to two things. Number one, they need to know that we are just real people with with our own hurts, habits, and hang-ups that we have to work through, uh, we're not perfect. And number two, they need to realize that, yes, the expectation is that we're available 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, but we also, first and foremost, are called to lead our families. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to minister to our spouse and our kids, as well as their families. And so if you don't need to make that phone call, it can probably wait till tomorrow. Right. Interesting, interesting. As you get ready to graduate, um, any highlights of your time at North Central and uh, the things that you've done here? Well, a um, couple of highlights. Number one, I, I, I absolutely cherish some of the relationships that I've built with other students, uh, faculty members such as yourself, administration. Um, and you know, for me, it's kind of neat because my kids were here first and so, people see me and know, oh, you're Abby's dad or you're Eddie's dad or, you know, and so I, it takes that identity to a new level. I mean, um, you know, my son holds the distinction that he, it's taking him three and a half years to get 
not well, he's pursuing three associate's degrees, but he had some medical issues in his first semester that put him a little behind, and then he joined the Missouri National Guard and he was gone for a year. And so it's, but he's been on this campus so long, he's got more tenure than some of the teachers. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of neat that, that, you know, our family has been impacted, but had such an impact here, kind of changing the culture right, of this campus. Right, right. It's not been the Rodney Dangerfield back to school thing, has it? No, um, I, I wish I could get Kurt Vonnegut to come write my paper on Kurt Vonnegut, um, but no, uh, but it's, it has been fun. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I jokingly tell people all the time, well, just look for the old guy in the coffee shop and you'll find me. Um, but it, it's really neat because some of these young people I always want to say kids, but I have to correct myself. Some of these young people don't have positive male role models in their lives. And so it's been really neat to be able to build some relationships and be there for some of these kids when they need somebody they can look to for advice and encouragement. And so I spend most of my day being a cheerleader and counselor as much as I do being a student. Thanks to Abner Neal for being on the podcast today. Abner and his wife, Jennifer, as he mentioned, have five children. And it's amazing to me, four of them are North Central Missouri College alumni or current students. We will be back next week. And until then, we say goodbye and go Pirates. Pirates.